the reason we're doing this series called Finding Faith is to give you the tools to truly understand how big the message of Christianity is, just how far-reaching God's plan was for all of us, and just how far we have fallen away. And what has ripped away our sense of their state of dying, it rattles our very sense of identity, it disrupts every relationship that we have on earth, and it creates so much distinction and conflict in the world that we live in, in God. Look down at that creation that he desires to be very different than what we have made it to be, and, and he has all kinds of options. And all of the options that God chooses, he does the unthinkable. So far in our series, we have talked about God's design, and, and we realize that his design was for humanity to personally know him and to live in harmony with him, themselves, others, and creation. We know that humanity has fallen. They rejected the one thing that God asked. God said, listen, you may eat of any tree in the garden. You may live any way that you want to live. But there's one thing that I don't want you to touch. There's one thing I don't want you to internalize, and that's for you to control the knowledge of good and evil. You're not to define that. I define that. I've created you in my image, so you reflect that natural my goodness and my kindness and my purity. But the minute that you decide that you're God and you want your own version of rock and roll, your own knowledge of good and evil, you will disrupt your life and every life around you. You will bring death to the planet, physical and spiritual. And man has rebelled and has fallen. And because we've rebelled against, because we have rebelled against God and rejected his design and selfishly filled the world with brokenness, we have nothing but pain and suffering. And, and we turn around and we want to blame God for it. We look at it and say, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And we're also going to come back and say, well, if there really was this loving God, then, then this wouldn't exist. As if it was God's fault. And so then we put God completely out of the picture, whether we're functionally atheistic or not, or we're actually atheistic, and we say that God doesn't exist, and then we live deeply in brokenness. Because there's no other word to describe the insanity, and we never ask the question, why does the evil and suffering exist to begin with? And it also comes down to rejecting God. And we're still left with this question. Why is it that I'm driven by insecurity? Why is it that God is destroyed in my mind? Why is it that I can't love people that are different than me? Why is it that I can't find meaning and purpose and significance in life and really be fulfilled and at peace and happy and rest? And we, we, we breathe our breath every day and we wrestle with these things and we fight these battles and we try to cope and we try to to change our minds and to think positive and we do everything and anything to get past this for the next 70 years. The Lord knows what. So let me ask you a question today. If you were God and you created the world to be at home with you, themselves, others, and creation around them, and that very creation rejected you and rebelled against you and filled the world with selfishness and pain and then blamed you for it, how would you respond? If you were God, how would you respond? What are the possible responses? Condemnation. I mean, condemnation. I'm going to stop them all down. God doesn't do that. God can completely abandon them. To avoid them and say, fine, you rejected me, have a nice life. 
I'm not going to try to reveal myself to you. I'm not going to try to interject myself into your problems. I'm not going to try to insert myself into everything that's going on and show you that I have compassion and care for you. I'm, I'm just done with you. You're that cow that I'm kicking out of the house. It's too late. That's late. The message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that God did not stay silent. He did not stay removed. That he entered into his own brokenness, his own creation, and he tolerated our rebellion and our sin and our rejection of him and took it in the face. And, and even in the middle of that, having the flesh ripped off of his back by the crucifixion of being nailed to the cross and they get to die and stand and being pushed while he's up on that cross, he's uttering words of love and forgiveness and restoration. So if you're done, how would you respond? It's a very unusual response. Another question we're left with is what can be done about the suffering of the world? If we reject God, what is the solution? Tolerance? We all know that tolerance alienates, it's just shifted the alienation that we have caused to other people. The bullied are now bullied. There's not a solution here. Systematic injustice. We, we've created the systematic problems in our country and thinking that we're somehow going to get wiser and create another system that doesn't leave somebody else is absurd. There's no solutions, just problems. And this is another type of question that you wrestle with in this existence. Justice, how does this come about? What is justice? Should anybody pay the price? And if there is a price to pay, what should be? This is the existence that we live in. God looks down at and he responds in a very unusual way. See, the third chapter of the gospel, of the message of Christianity, the third truth that we have to understand is that when God looks down on the brokenness, He responds very differently than what you and I would expect. See, Jesus makes this incredible offer because He responds to our rebellion and selfishness with love and justice applied to humanity and grace. That's the third chapter of the gospel. When God looks at fallen humanity, He responds with love and justice, and He applies love and justice to humanity by grace. Because if God is just loving, then people that have been victimized by, by people that, you know, by all means are innocent. If God is just loving, He overlooks that. He's just okay. So I just love everybody. Everything's okay. I got a problem with that. And you do have a problem with that. Because evil exists and it robs people of innocence and it hurts them and it takes things from them that should not be taken. And if there is no sense of justice, then why even care about God anyway? Because He really has nothing to offer to humanity that solves any of our deepest problems. And then all the way on the other side, going from progressive theology, all the way all over to my fundamental friends, the, the church that I grew up in, with all this policy condemning, I want to make people feel the pain and the weight of their sins so much so that they never escape it. They come to the gospel believing that they're horrible, rotten people. And they never walk in freedom. God is harsh and condemning. He's just. There is no love. And we wonder why people's lives are not changed. 
And what we forget is, is that God takes both of these ideas and He fuses them together. Love has to exist for justice to exist. Justice has to exist so love can exist. If those two things are not together, you don't have any hope in life. Love and justice have to be married together, and they have to be fused together by something other than ourselves. Otherwise, we end up with the crazy forms of love and justice that we are living in. They never reach. They never solve. They're always self-motivated. Remember, like the reversion of rock and roll. But God takes both of these ideas and He brings them together with grace, and He applies it to humanity, bringing compassion to those that have been afflicted by other people's sins, and bringing justice that calls us out to making right of wrong, changing of lives, and restoring good. And he offers that to a humanity that has nothing to offer him in return. It's great. So let's dig this, dig this, uh, put this passage apart a little bit, let's fill it apart, and let's dive in a little deeper here to see what God really gives us. See, Jesus shows us love. It's unexpected and undeserving. Where do we see this? John 3, 16 through 19. And this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because they work for evil. Listen, if there's judgment in the world, and don't, don't even tell me that somebody says, don't judge me, is non judgment. The fact that they're saying that is that they're judging your assessment of being judgment. We all make judgment calls every day. Here's the real judgment. God is in humanity. Humanity wants nothing to do with the light because they love the darkness. That's the judgment that rests on all of us. We reject God. That's the judgment. Now, we can go in to quantify that rebellion, and we can list off all the ways that we rebel against God and all the sins, but what God is really dealing with is the fact that number one thing is that humanity wants nothing to do with Him. We'll, we'll change him, we'll destroy him, we'll reject him, we'll ignore him, we'll do whatever we need to get around God because our version is better. We love our brothers. But God has a very different thing in mind. He starts up in verse 16, for God so loved the world. What? Humanity rejects him, does not love him, does not desire him, does not want him, and he looks down and he loves them. The first thing you got on the it's so out of the order, it's so contradictory to our version of right and wrong that it's achieved to receive. And God's like, you, you, you're not ever going to get there. And instead of punishing you and rejecting you and returning and getting even with you, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to love you because I am pure. And that's good. I'm that good. For God to love the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, to be waste away, to rot away, but have eternal life. God wants to put a well of life within you that springs up now and lasts for all eternity. Why? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So what is we being saved from? Perishing, wasting away, being ripped apart. God comes in and He wants to heal. He wants to save, to redeem, to restore. He wants to reverse that process. And He says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Listen, God did not come into the world and condemn the world because the world was condemned already. They rejected Him, and He did come in there to show them what He really intended for humanity to have. 
See, so when God gets in your business and he starts to convict you and he starts to draw you out from your rebellion and your sin, he's not condemning you. He says, here's what I want you to see. I have this other thing for you. I meant to fill your identity this way. I meant to build your relationship this way. I meant to give you purpose this way. And you're over here doing this and it's leading you to this great suffering and healing. And I'm calling you out on it not because I think you're a horrible, rotten person. I'm calling you out on it because I love you and I want you to know what I have for you. It's the gospel. And whatever messages that you remember in your mind, whatever pastors have talked to you, whatever I have said that has come short of calling you to the hope of Jesus, you need to erase that from your mind because that's a false teaching. It's going to be full circle. We are condemned already because we have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God loves us when there's nothing lovable about us, when we want nothing to do with him. The next thing is that Jesus brings justice, right? So Jesus brings love and he brings justice. This is what he offers to us. And again, justice is unexpected and undeserving because some of us, the way justice comes down, the way our dad came down, the way our dad got the hand. Right? That's justice. I'm going to beat you in this condition. I'm going to turn you into conformity. I'm going to do whatever I can to exercise my authority over you and to no influence in your life. That's the way I do it. That's not the way God treats the man. That's not justice. It's unexpected and it's undeserving. What is the sense of justice to God? He wants to restore what's right. He wants to elevate what's right. Here's how he does it. He turns around and he looks at us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And this is what he says. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Because you have rebelled against me and you have acted selfishly and hurt yourself and hurt other people and hurt me, you're dead. You're, you're, you're spiritually dead. You can't respond to me. You don't even know what you're missing. You were dead in these things in your sinful nature and was not yet away. So you're living in this, this, this trouble, this conflict, this fallen state. Then God made you alive with Christ. How did God bring justice? How did God restore life in the world? You're making us alive with Christ. Not calling us to obey a law. Not giving us commands that say, you've got to keep these or I'm going to strike you dead. The commands were to show us how far away we have fallen. How did God set things right? How did God bring justice? Making us alive with Christ. For He forgave all our sins. So, so there's two things here. It's like God looks at you and He makes you alive through Christ because of what He's done on the cross by faith. We receive this life. We become alive to God again the way that He intended for all creation to be. We come alive. We're able to know Him. We're able to be right with Him. And God looks at us and sees us right. And we're saying, well, well, I'm not right. I haven't always been right. And I'm not going to continue to do right all the time. I'm going to struggle. And then He brings us other sense of justice throughout our daily lives. Not just overlooking our sins, but forgiving our sins. The act of getting in there and transforming our hearts so we don't desire those things that hurt us others or him. Here's the sense of justice. How does God make things right? By applying love and justice by grace. He offers forgiveness. We are preserved. Forgiveness changes things. 
you ever called somebody to look to you and confront you on something that you've done to hurt him and you turn around and say that you know I love you and I forgive you? You ever had that happen? It is an incredibly powerful experience. And something that happens in that moment, your arch enemy becomes your best friend. He goes on further and he says he's canceled the record of the charges against us. There's no place to write down your sin anymore. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Just to how does God make things right? He pays the penalty for what, what they've done wrong and he forgives by the cross. So God takes all the wrong upon himself on the cross and offers us a standing of being right before him. And then offers us forgiveness that changes our hearts so that we're actually right before him, others, and ourselves. This is the sense of justice, how God brings good back to the world. And it's all applied to us by grace, again, unexpected and deserving. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's gracious standard. Yet God, let's talk about, remember that, yet God, in His grace, this is how He applies it, freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, the punishment, the payment for sin. So God brings justice by grace. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, sending his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in time past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in his present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. What would cause God to sacrifice his own life on the cross to offer us what we don't deserve? Love. That is given to us by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, proves this one. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. So you rebelled against God. You have rejected Him. The peace against you has piled up. And at that time, you followed the world's evil way. Your own version of right and wrong that everybody else celebrates. And you obey the ruler of the spiritual powers and faith in the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. Actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our own natural desires, driven by our own passions, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant. And his love is so great that while we were spiritually dead and our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace 
issue of being saved. See, let me help you understand grace a little bit. I don't know if any of you guys know who Julian Stigian is. He is the grandson of Abraham. He's a pastor, very prominent pastor. Paul Ferry was someone in his church, lost his position, got hired in another church six months later, had another affair in that church, and lost his ministry. What's powerful about that is that he wrote an incredible book about grace. He loved tonight about love and God's justice are applied to his life. And he walked away from it. I don't know how you feel about all the pastors. But this is what he wrote recently on May 1st on his Facebook page. Here's what he's learned. If Jesus paid it all and he was finished, if the judgment against us has been fully and finally taken care of, aren't we opening the door to lawlessness? This is what the Judaizers or the religious people of Jesus considered were afraid of. They didn't like the gospel of free grace because they thought people would get out of control. And they quote, if God is not mad at me, and if he will never love me more than he does right now, then why can't this party my way through life? The underlying fear is that unconditional grace leads to unrestrained morality. While attacks on morality will always come from outside the church, attacks on grace will always come from inside the church. Because somewhere along the way, we've come to believe that this whole thing is about behavioral modification and personal moral improvement. And we've concluded that grace just doesn't possess the teeth to scare us in the table. So as a result, we get a steady diet of demons by a harder sermon. We get a to-do list version of Christianity that causes us to believe the focus of our Christian faith is the life of a Christian. We end up, therefore, hearing more about Christian living than Christ. We think this will be what gets people to clean up their acts and to fix themselves and to volunteer in the nursery and to obey and to read their Bibles and the change the world, but it actually has the opposite effect. A steady diet of do more, try harder sermons doesn't cause people to do more or to try harder. It makes them give up. Legalism produces lawlessness. The fact is that the solution to restraint free immorality is not morality. The solution to immorality is the free grace of God. Only undeserved grace can truly merit the patient form of heart. The law by which the New Testament exhorts sacrificial love and obedience is meant by tempering grace, but by driving it home. Charles Spurgeon nailed it when he said, When he thought God was hard, I found it easy to say. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I do my best to think I could ever have a heart against one who loved me so. He stopped my dream. Do you understand this? 
Do you understand that every act of God's love and every act of God's justice, the setting of life, is applied to you by grace? Out of his goodness, out of his planning, out of his adoration for you, and he comes to you just where you are, just how you are, and he applies the full love and the full justice and the full grace of God, restraining nothing, holding nothing over your head, to give you an incredible offer. You want to know if you understand this? It drops your guard about God. You think you want to do it. You're not afraid. You're not trying to church yourself up. You're not trying to clean things up. You're not trying to impress him. You're not trying to prove your work. You're not trying to earn anything. You're just coming to him just as you are, believing that God loves you and enjoying that relationship. And the more you enjoy that relationship, the more your heart is drawn to him. And the more your heart is drawn to him, the more you begin to reflect his kingdom. This is why Jesus looked at horrifically sinful people and he said, Follow me. Come with me. And he saw the things like, What are you doing here? Where are these people? And God is changing the world. This is why God sends the Holy Spirit to live within us when we become believers. And the Holy Spirit says the same thing that Jesus said to the disciples. Follow me. Come with 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 me. And the more you walk with him, and the more time you stay with him, the harder it becomes to rebel against him because you actually find something that satisfies you. This is why we encourage you to pray. This is why we encourage you to read the Bible. This is what these moments in church are supposed to be about to remind you of that, to call you and to comfort you in that, and to remind you to keep doing it. And give you the tool so that you can do this when you go home. This is what the Bible is. See, the offer is a church word called redemption. Everything I'm talking to you about is redemption. God's love and justice applied to your life by grace. This transformation that is the result of that is called redemption. It's a way for us to be rescued from our rebellion against God and restored to everything that's been taken away from us. To be restored in a right relationship with God. To be restored in our own well-being. To be restored in our relationship with people around us. To be restored in our place in the world. To be rescued and restored. He rescued. Jesus paid the price to redeem. It's been paid because the redemption means that you go in there and you pay a price to buy something out, to call something out with value. Jesus paid that price. So that means that when you come to him, there's no more price to be paid. It's done. You don't have to come to stand and guilt. You don't have to prove your worth or earn his love. You don't have to say, God, I'm never going to fail you to get you promises that you will not keep. I promise you, you will not keep. Your effort will not save you. Come again and say, God, I just want you. That believe that by grace, you are going to get on the cross. It's a willingness, the hope that God asks us. It rescues you. It pulls you out of the depths. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. By God's grace, this freely gift given to you, you've been saved through faith. God has pulled you out of this, this wasteful way 
by faith. It's, and faith is simply saying, God, I trust you, not myself. I no longer want to live for my own version of right and wrong. I'm trusting you to be that definition. It's faith. It's trusting God. That's all faith is. I just choose God. I trust God. I follow God. I believe God. But it doesn't add up. I'm still going to get there because I know that every good thing requires work and effort, and I'm going to have to move past some crud to get to what's good. It's faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, but of no man can boast. And so God's grace and God's love and God's transformation in your life is not based on how well you follow. It's how willing you are to be changed. And it will restore that brokenness that's transformed. So see that there's kind of redemption. He gives the price the poor side of this slavery is being free. And then he takes all of that passion and all of this brokenness that's around us and he turns it into something God restores life in the world. So again, the idea of love and justice played out. Love brings rescue. Justice being set right brings restoration. For our sake. His sake? Ours. God looked at us and for your own good, for your sake, I'm going to send Jesus to be sin. And he knew no sin. I'm going to come. I'm going to take all of your sin. I've never sinned. I'm going to take all of that sin, all of that guilt, all of that separation, all the consequences upon myself, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So everything is perfect and pure and godly about Jesus, the person and image of God in the flesh. I'm going to give that to you as I did expiation. I'm going to breathe that on you by the Holy Spirit, just the way I breathe the breath of life in the humanity of creation. I'm going to restore my broken image in your life and all of those things that distort and take you away from me. I'm going to take care of sin. So when you look at your life, you can't see yourself as a broken, fallen, Person, you choose to see yourself as forgiven with love to Jesus. Grace. It's an incredible thing. See, we thank you again. Say this. This is God why Jesus came. For the Son of Man, Jesus came to speak and save the law. Another translation in the Mystic Bible, I think, really captures the heart of this verse. It says that Jesus came to find and restore the lost. See, this is the very heartbeat of God. This is the very purpose of God. This is the very desire of God. God came to find and restore the lost. Now, when we think about the lost, this is where we don't understand. Because, see, when we think about things being lost, we think about our keys. We think about keys, we can replace our keys. It's inconvenient, but it's not earth stepping. Might be a little more serious when we think about leaving our kids, right? It's a little more serious. You know, we live in Walmart with a crisis there. We're beginning to understand the depth of losses. But what this word really means is to have something that has immeasurable value to you being ripped apart in front of your very eyes. That's how God sees humanity. God created everything that has this incredible worth and value. God's design was perfect and beautiful and good. And the sin came on and he has a and his own desires and, and he rebels and he rejects 
and he, he makes his own decisions, and he constantly fills his own passions and his own desires, and he moves through life just making decision after decision, giving themselves over to every possible impurity, hoping that it will survive and thrive, and it never meets the heart's need. And he takes something of incredible beauty, and it's being ripped apart in front of his very eyes, and God is deeply motivated to change that. See, you and I are a lot like this road. We take bits and pieces of our life, and we give our identities over to our passions, and we start defining ourselves by what we do and what we want and what we feel like. This is how we find ourselves in substance abuse, and and, and, and how substance abuse rob us of life and relationship, and it's because of your things from God's not going to live in and say, you know, I just want to rob you of joy. What he's saying is, is I don't want to prevent harm from coming to your life. You know, we never go through life and, and start ripping off another power, rejecting God's standards and his plans, and we start, you know, God, I just don't care. I just don't want this. And peace by peace, we give away our holiness and our identity and our purity and everything good that God has designed for us to have. And before you know it, there's nothing left. The false gospel will be laying guilt and condemnation on you and say, Who in the world would want you after all that you've done? And the answer is Jesus. Because, see, Jesus doesn't look at a stem that has no petals and no beauty anymore. God's desire for you has never changed. When you looked down and you saw a loss, you didn't see all of the stupid things that you have done and I have done to rebel and reject and, and, and to blow God looks down and he sees an incredible child of God who is deeply loved and valued, and Jesus was willing to follow me and restore me through the cross. And that is what's true for you. So God offers you grace because He sees you in your original state. You never lose beauty in God's life, and that's the heartbeat of the gospel. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you're using to define your identity. No matter how much you reject him, God sees you as beautiful. And this is what he wants to And this is the heartbeat of Job, chapter 3, verse 16. God loves the world. Why wouldn't you receive that gift of transformation, of rescuing and restoration? Whatever it is that keeps you from believing in that is what you've given your heart to. And Jesus is asking for you to experience that rebellion, that rejection of God, to receive his 
rescue this person. It's not complicated. It's just looking at the Bible after and saying, yes. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, say this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the cross, and confess that God wants you to leave my life, I want you to restore all that has been broken to me, I want you to rescue me. You will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified by God, I believe you, and God sees you as well before Him, and with the mouth, He confess and is saved. That's the transformation part. God is asking for you to do something every moment of every day of your life, and then to say, Jesus, I want you. I see what you have to offer. I see that you see me as beautiful, even though I think you're with the reason to love me, and I choose you. I want you. I confess. I need you. Daily confession. It doesn't mean one confession and then you just good luck goes up to the standard. It's a daily confession. It's a moment by moment confession. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I follow you. Mark looks at me first. The rest of time is coming, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. The good news is, is that Jesus offers you redemption to us to rescue you, to restore you. Because he loves you, and he's paid the price for his day, and he applies all of that and says, Will you love him? It's a simple truth. When I stop living my life to receive God's transforming power, the last of the world The repenting part is to turn away from yourself and the believing part is to make somebody who needs to be honest. 